Amen. We're already changing. Right? He's, he's really working on us. He's, he's, I'm telling you, God's at work in your life. I said God's at work in your life. And it's a good thing. It's, it's a good thing that he's doing. He's not trying to hurt you. He's trying to help you. He's not putting you down. He's lifting you up. I'm telling you that the best life you could have would be the life that God planned for you. God has a plan. Uh, you know, I love the scriptures and, and, and uh, it's in Ephesians where he says, you know, that God has already made a road, made, made it ready in advance, prepared a way for you to walk in it so that you might live the good life that he's prearranged, made ready for you to live. God's got a great life, the, the best life. You know, uh, we, we, we end up getting off track from time to time and we get deceived by the, by, by the world and by the enemy and all kinds of stuff. And, and, but, but, you know, different pictures pop into our mind when we hear the word church or the word God. Or we're under the impression that if we did life God's way, that we wouldn't be able to enjoy anything. We, we wouldn't have any fun. That's just a lie from the pit of hell. You know, uh, people who didn't understand that God's purpose and God's plan. And, and, and then, it get, you know, it's just I'm telling you, man, it's just easy to get off track and make it about something that it's not really about. And, and all of a sudden uh, you, you find that, that, you know, I grew up in church. And uh, most of the time, not always, but most of the time. And, and I think it's just something that we, you know, we, we've just decided as a team here. We're going to always guard and, and watch and keep an eye on so that we don't become too churchy like we, at least in our, you know, the way we were raised. You know, it's kind of cool to get to build a church that you want to go to. You know, and, and uh, but even even with that, there's still moments if you're not careful that you slide off and, and you know, just what you're familiar with, that old stuff keep, just keeps coming back up. And, and a lot of times, you know, a lot of times we engage in stuff that really got nothing to do with the real deal. Now, if you're super, super into tradition and ceremonial exercise, that's cool. But the reality is, is you no, know, God has this plan for a great life. I don't want to waste all my time doing ceremonial stuff. That has nothing to do with his plan. You know, in, in reality, God's plan is for me to demonstrate Satan's defeat every day of my life. Yeah, he, he, is, he has empowered us to absolutely humiliate hell. You know, it, Jesus said, hey, in this world, there's going to be tribulation. But guys, don't worry about that. Be of good cheer because I've overcome the world. If you're in Christ, you're already a world overcomer. So, so, so don't get all depressed about the problems. It's not like your life's going to be problem free, but you're going to have power greater than the problem. Jesus said, I've come that you might have and actually enjoy life. You know, and life to the full in abundance till it's overflowing. We're talking about a crazy, awesome life that Jesus come to connect us to. And that word life there in the Greek is zoe, Z-O-E. And it's life as God has it. It's more life than death, more joy than sorrow, more peace than chaos, more hope than despair, more provision than lack, more healing than sickness. It's not the absence of sickness. It's just we got way more healing. You know, if you're going to run out of something, don't, don't, you know, people, we're so shortage minded, you know, uh, if the, the value of a thing is dependent upon, uh, you know, the abundance of a thing, right? You want to drive the price of gas up, tell everybody there's not very much gas. We're always afraid. We're always running out of the good stuff. But wait a minute. I have more joy than sorrow. You know, uh, Shelby and I, one time we tried to worry, but we couldn't. 
Because we're all out of worry. You know, here's the deal, guys. This good life, this great life, this awesome life that Jesus has come to connect you to, he's got a plan. But you have an enemy who has a strategy. He's trying to separate you from, from the plan that God has. God wants to bless you, and the enemy wants to mess with you. You know, he, he's, trying to, he's trying to get you off track, and God's trying to keep you on track. And trying to bring you to a place where uh, you're not the one getting your hiney handed to you, but you, every day when you get out of bed, hell goes, oh crap, they're up again. Don't look at me like that. That's what, I want, that's, that's what I want hell to think every time they think of you. Oh, crap. He said crap in church. Well, I say it outside of church, so I might as well say it in church. You know, don't want to fake you out or nothing. Would it be better? Oh, crap. Do it with a religious voice. I, I want hell to be nervous every time you get out of bed because you know, you know, you understand, man. I, I'm, I'm not just saved. I'm called. I'm not, I said, I'm not just saved, I'm called. You know, if you would live like you're called, you wouldn't have to worry about staying saved. But if you're living like you're saved, you're always following the rules and always trying to be saved. Make, make sure. Uh, and, no, no, no. You, you've been saved and called according to uh, uh, his purpose. Right? So it, it just, just you've got to get this reality. Okay, the enemy has, has a strategy, but it's all about disrupting God's plan. And so I don't want to get separated from the plan of God. See, really, it's a, it's a fight for your soul. Right? It's a fight for your soul. The soul, again, is the way you think, the way you feel, the, the way you make your choices. And so, so the enemy, and really, even in our society, I think our society is trying to move us away from comparative thought. Uh, they're trying to bring you to a place where, in actuality, where you don't actually think. Where, where you, you skip the thought part and you just go to feel. Well, I feel this way. And so you're being led by emotions that aren't based on thought. Mark 4.24 in the Amplified Bible it says this. Uh, it says the level of thought and study that you give to the truth you hear determines the level of virtue and knowledge. Virtue is power that comes back to you and more besides. What it says is that if you don't give any thought to the truth you hear, to God's word, that, that you won't have virtue, that that word won't produce power in your life. So if you'll be led by emotions, how you feel, instead of thinking based on the Word of God. If we, if, see, that's why James, again, said, receive with meekness the engrafted Word of God, which has the power to save your soul the way you think, the way you feel, the way you make choices. If you will receive with meekness the Word of God. Meekness is not a weak spirit. It's a teachable spirit. If you will, if you will allow God's Word to change the way you think, it'll actually change the way you feel. It'll change the choices you make. That will in turn change the actions you perform, which will change the habits that you develop, which will change the character that you possess, which will change the end result that you experience. You want to change your end result, you know, everybody says, well, just do, do something out there and change, make, make the circumstance different. How about you make me different and I'll end up having a different end result, right? So if I can have God thought, God said in Isaiah, my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. That's not a put down, it's an invitation up. God said, don't think down here on this level like the world, but come up here and, and look, at, look at life from my perspective. Let me teach you how to think properly. You know, uh, don't be conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. You've got to have God's word. That's why the enemy's working so hard to keep you out of the word of God. Because if you start learning the word of God, you're going to know the truth. The truth is going to set you free. 
In John 8, 31, 32, you know, he said, this is when you're going to know you're my disciples, right? And you're going to know the truth and the truth will make you free. Well, you ask people, what, what has the power to set you free? The truth. No, it's the knowledge of the truth. Truth has been around for thousands of years. You're still living in bondage. Why is that? Because you don't know the truth. The truth that you don't know ain't helping you. So you've got to know the truth, which means you're going to have to think this thing through. You, you know, Einstein made a statement. He said, thinking is very difficult work, which explains why so few people do it. <laughs> you know, hey, you're going, to have, you're going to have to sit down here and act. God, God's not intimidated by, by you sitting down and saying, okay, now let's think this through. You know, well, you can't just live by blind faith. Well, yeah, but you want me to believe anything the world says. God's saying, here's my word. Sit down. He said, you know, sit down and, and check this out. Man, let me show you some, you know, call on me. Oh, man, the, the scriptures are going off like crazy in my brain right now. Yeah, yeah, uh, Jeremiah 33, 3, call into me and I'll answer you and I'll show you great and mighty things that you don't know. One translation says, I'll show you fenced in things, secret things, hidden things. He implies things you couldn't possibly know. God said, I'll begin to reveal them to you if you just call on me. Well, why aren't we calling on him more? Because we assume we know everything already. We're making a statement that I know more than God does. Where does that come from? It comes from a mindset. It's actually pride. That's pushing God off the throne and we're climbing up there ourselves. I don't need God. To, I got this. I can handle this. And I think God does a little bit of the doctor feel every now and then. Steps back and waits and then steps out and says, how's that working out for you? You know, because, you know, he, he ain't going to freak God out if you actually start thinking contemplating and analyzing. Okay, this is the way the world wants to go, but look at where they ended up. This is the way God says to go. Let's find, let's find people who have lived that way. Let's see where they ended up. Which, which one looks better? Shoot. I think God would like stand to give you a standing ovation. I mess with the boys all the time. Got three boys. And uh, they're constantly, especially TJ and Steven. It's kind of fun because they'll, you know, they'll be getting ready to buy something that they want. And then, but they'll, they'll hesitate and they'll look at me and they'll say, I, I just feel like it's really expensive. And I'll say, you feel it's expensive. Yeah. I just feel like, I said, oh, wait, you feel it's expensive. That's not a, that's not a feeling. That's a thought. You, you know, our culture, this, this current society is being pulled away from thought so much that I don't think they know the difference between thoughts and feelings. If you, you know, you need to stop and think. And if you think it's too expensive, it'll impact your emotions, which make every decision you make. And it might actually change the decision you make based off of great thought. But don't allow your feelings to make decisions that you haven't thought about. And this society is just wanting you to be led by your emotions. Why? So that you won't think. And God's like, no, you need to think. You need to understand your purpose, your calling, and hell's strategy that's trying to separate you from the very purpose for which I've called you. Jeremiah 1.5 says that before I formed you, I knew you. I sanctified you and I ordained you. Before I formed you, before I started squeezing you into shape, I knew exactly where you were going to fit. It says that it, literally it says that God had a dream about the future. And he said, you know what? I see where Clayton's going to fit. And he started forming and shaping Clayton and he set him up. He set you up, Clayton. 
He, he, dude, you know, some, some people so easy to look at their situation and say, oh, my God, he set you up. You, you don't mind if I talk about you, do you? I don't care, but I'm just asking it to be polite. So, <laughs> so, so, uh, so, so God sets Clayton up. And Clayton's going through life, and, and, and he just thinks he's in control and doing all this stuff, and, and he's just, you, you know, and he's got it made, and he's got it all figured out. And, 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 but then, you know, to make a long story, you know, you get up to this one spot about, what, two years ago? About two years ago on a New Year's Eve service when we're going to baptize his ex-wife after, and he's been a Buddhist for 20 years, and he comes, I mean, can you imagine New Year's Eve, party night, you're a Buddhist in a Christian place of worship, to watch your ex-wife get baptized. Awkward. Okay. <laughs> God set him up. He, he's, been, he's been bringing him to the spot. And then while we're doing our thing and, you know, and we're just doing stuff, but the Holy Spirit starts talking to Clayton. Clayton gets saved on a New Year's Eve service watching his ex-wife get baptized in a house of worship. And, you know, yeah, that's cool. God's been using all of that to bring him to where he wants him. And so it is kind of cool that, you know, if you look back at that and you just realize God's orchestrated all this stuff. Now they're married again and their kids are serving God and everything, you know, and I'm telling you, God's got a plan for your life. And it says, it says that, and he sanctified you. What does that mean? He made you different from anybody else. I got three boys. I love my children. But all three of them, you know, raised in the same household, same, same rules, same stuff, same parents. Very, very different individuals. And I mean that in a good way. They're different. You know. <laughs> Why? Because God's made them different and then he said, and then I've ordained you. What does that mean? He's given you the power to actually fulfill the dream that he had when he saw where you fit. God's awesome. I'm telling you, God's awesome. He's got a purpose. Well, hell's really freaking out about your purpose. And you want to know what's funny is hell's upset about a purpose that most Christians don't know anything about. You know, really, you know, the growth track, you know, uh, we want you to get in the growth track, find out who we are and what we're up to. This week is 201. And it's, you know, we, we choose to love each other, agree with each other, be deep spirited friends, according to Philippians 2. And uh, well, agree with each other on what and you find out today. You know, this is the life we choose. to live. We love doing life together. But, you know, we got to be in agreement as we do life. What are we agreeing on? Come today and find out. You know, uh, sign up at the info center and we'll buy you lunch and, and we'll just talk about how we're going to live life together. In 301, we're going to teach you, show you what your spiritual gifts are. It's amazing. I, I've been in church most, uh, almost every day of my life. And the reality is, is that most believers don't have a clue even what their spiritual gifts are. Well, if you don't know what your gift is, how could you possibly know what his plan's about? Well, God's got a plan. He's going to prosper me. Are you going to participate? What do you mean? Ed McMahon's coming. Only the older people know what that means. You know, I'm going to win the lottery. Did you buy a ticket? Shucks. You know, you got more chance of winning the lottery without buying a ticket than you do of colliding with God's plan without understanding His Word. 
So you're an easy target for hell. So we end up getting we end up getting defeated by a defeated enemy. How many of you think Jesus was successful in fulfilling his purpose while on earth? Hold hold your hand up. If you believe that, Jesus was successful in fulfilling his purpose. Do you know what his purpose was? For this purpose was the Son of God manifest that he might destroy the works of the evil one. If he was successful in fulfilling his purpose, then the works of the evil one, the work that the evil one did with the first Adam, are now destroyed. In other words, the chains aren't broken. I need the chains broken. No, you need the chains destroyed. The anointing destroys the yoke. It don't break it. Why is that important? Because that which is broken can be repaired, but that which is destroyed is rendered powerless. The enemy's been defeated. We are not fighting for victory. We're fighting from victory. One more blow from Calvary's Hill and Satan wouldn't even be around. Well, why is he here then? So you can demonstrate his defeat. You get, it's a humiliation to hell. Every day of your life is a humiliation to hell. But if you don't know that truth, then you end up getting beat up by the guy who, who got beat up. And you're defeated by the guy who is defeated. And you think you're defeated, but it's he that's defeated all the time. I mean, it, picture it like this. That, 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 that you've got the devil on the ground. Your foot is on his neck. You've got a sword ready to decapitate him. He's looking up at you and he says, do you give up yet? You're, you've already won. You know, you know, in my mind, my mind always works with pictures. And, and, and if you have one of these, we're praying for you. But just don't even respond. Just look straight forward. Okay, Jim? And, uh, uh, but some people have these things. I, I think it's probably out of a heart of compassion or something. But they own what's called a chihuahua. <laughs> very, very popular right now. Chihuahua. What's funny is they think they own a dog. The Chihuahua is not a dog. Okay. We have a St. Bernard. That's a dog. Keith has a pit bull. That's a dog. Okay. You have a Chihuahua. That is a rat with a home run problem. Okay. And I'm, I'm, I'm glad that you're compassionate and feel sorry for the thing. But, hey, it's not really a dog. And, and, and you know, what's crazy is that people all over the world are scared of Chihuahuas. You've got the Chihuahua fear going on. And, you know, because they make a lot of noise. And they're showing their fangs. You know, the poor little thing. And, and, and you, can, you, can, you can use them as a guard dog. Guard your property. You can have a whole herd of them or something, you know. And, you know, and if you get the camera down in the grass and look at it, they look a little bigger that way. And, and you only have to build a fence about that tall to keep them in. And people will be walking down the road, and here come the herd of chihuahuas. And they're, oh, my God, oh, my God. Just, just one time, just go, hey! And the dogs run the other way. And that's, that's kind of how I picture Satan. He's got a lot of bark. And even if he bites, dude, if you shake harder, you can get him off. It's not that big a deal. Just not, just not that big a deal. Why is he here? Just for you to humiliate him. But he has his strategy to try to separate you from God's plan. And people, we've been falling for it forever. So I'm thinking today, maybe if we just take a minute and we think about his strategy. Well, maybe we would be aware enough to not fall for it.
You with me? Check this out. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15, for this reason, because I've heard of your faith, your love, I don't cease, verse 16, to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. For I always pray to God, to the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, that he may grant you a spirit of wisdom, revelation, giving you insight to mysteries and secrets, into the deep and intimate knowledge of him, by having the eyes of your heart flooded with light. That's, that's what he's saying here. And I'm praying that, that the eyes of your understanding would be enlightened, that you, that you might know and understand the hope to which he has called you. And how rich is his glorious inheritance in his set-apart ones. You are set-apart, empowered to fulfill his dream. And he wants you to have the eyes of your understanding enlightened so you can see this thing. Look at verse 18. For my prayer is that light will flood your heart and that you can understand the hope that was given to you when God chose you. God chose you. And he's put, you know, a lot of us are praying that God would get us out of here. And God's like, no, I got you where I need you. I chose you for this. And look what it says. Then you will discover the glorious blessings that will be yours. Then, you know, a lot of people never discover the glorious blessings because they never understand the hope that was released when he called them. They don't see their calling, so they miss out on, on the blessing. Look at Ephesians chapter 4. I, therefore, the prisoner for the Lord, appeal to you and beg you to walk and lead a life worthy of the divine calling. He said, you know what? If you understood your calling, it would change the way you live. I wish you would live a life worthy of your calling. But how, do you gonna, how are you going to live a life that's in alignment with your calling if you never understand what your calling is? So you, you can possibly... Live a life worthy of your calling if you didn't even know you were called. And a lot of us, you know, go all the way through, all the way through this thing uh, just because of time. Let's just read this for a second. Look at verse 13. Uh, uh, he said, you know, we're building up Christ's body that it might develop until we all attain oneness in the faith and in the comprehension of the full and accurate knowledge. Here's what we need. Full and accurate knowledge of the Son of God that we might arrive at really mature manhood. God's just trying to grow us up. Which is nothing less than the standard height of Christ's own perfection, the measure of stature and the fullness of the Christ and the completeness found in him. God says, I don't want you missing anything that I've created you for. I want your life filled, flourishing, and I'm talking awesome. The best life you could ever have would be the life that God's created you for. Nothing missing, nothing broken, no lack. You've got it going on. But then here comes the enemy. And he's got a strategy. And that strategy, you know, just to help you remember it, that strategy, we're going to call it today TLC. Say that with me. TLC. Say it really loud. Okay, we're, we're not talking about the learning channel. Right? It's not tender, loving care. Remember the band, TLC? It's not them. It's TLC, okay? TLC and the T, here's the enemy's strategy. TLC, T, temptation. Here's how the enemy always starts. If you go back to the book of Genesis, start there. Go all the way through history. Go all the way through your life. What's the, what's the first thing the enemy does? He brings temptation into your life. Matthew 4, let's just read about Jesus. Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. And a lot of times, see, if you don't know the truth... You'll be tempted to not even follow the Spirit. 
Because you look out there and where you're wanting to go, it don't seem like that's where the Spirit's leading. I want to be led to Disney World, but the Spirit's leading to the wilderness. I'm looking for the easy way. God's taking me the effective way. The, the, and, and the Spirit is leading him into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Verse 2 just doesn't, I don't even know why it's in here. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Duh. Okay. You know what's really weird is where he was at in the wilderness, the, the rocks there, they look like loaves of bread. So you're fasting. Dude, would that be a bummer or what? Just think about it. You know, you're on MetaFast, being led by the Spirit through the wilderness. You're hungry. Everything looks like bread. Bummer. The tempter, verse 3, the tempter came to him. It's important that you see this, the tempter. All through the Bible, when the Bible, you ever wonder how come God changes so many people's names? Because when he names something or when he gives a title, that name or the title determines the authority that that thing or person can operate within. The title, the title limits or removes the limits. And in the Bible, there's really only three titles given to the enemy. And one of them is he's a tempter. You know, even in John 10, 10, when we read that, the thief cometh not but for to kill, steal, and destroy, but I've come that you might have life. We always, we always apply that to the devil. But if you read John 10, the whole thing, go home, study it today, you're going to find out he's not actually talking about the devil. He's talking about a hireling who has a mindset of a thief. He's just in it for what he can get. And the thief just comes to tear stuff apart. But Jesus said, I didn't come to get stuff from you. I came to bring something to you. And we apply it to the, well, years ago, I'm reading that and I, I suddenly realized, well, God didn't call him a thief. So I studied the whole book. Can't find anywhere in the Bible where God gave him the title of a thief. And I decided, you know what? If, if, if God didn't give him the title of a thief, then why should I? Because if I give him the title of a thief, then he can steal from me. But if I revoke his title, he can't steal from me no more. So I decided that day, years ago, lived in Salem, Oregon, pastor to church there, and decided right from that moment forward, I will never be stolen from again. The devil will not steal from me. And, and I, I've, got, I've got smart friends, you know, and I, I'm not a genius, but uh, I just leave the genius meetings. But um, I, I, I got smart friends, Bible friends, and, and you know, yeah, we've had conversations over the year, and there's been a little debate here, but the Bible, the Bible doesn't call him a thief. One day, uh, uh, years ago, and, and the guys would say, well, you know what, but even if he is a thief, you know, even if he is a thief, if, if you catch the thief, the Bible says he has to repay seven times. I'm like, yeah, but... If you sow a seed, it reaps 30, 60, or 100-fold. And I know 30 is better than 7. So instead of being stolen from, I'll sow it. Well, about, I don't know, probably 15 years ago, some, some guys, banging, it was about Christmas time, you know, right around the holidays, and I'd been shopping, and I'd had, I bought stuff for his gifts and had it wrapped in the back seat of the car. I'm in my office, and pretty soon somebody's banging on my door. And they're like, hey, 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 somebody, somebody just got your stuff. I can't be stolen from. You just were. No, I wasn't. Yes, you were. No, I wasn't. Yes, you were. And we went back and forth for a while. They've got your stuff. Well, I'm going to sew it. They're like, what were you smoking in there? There's people running down the street after them. I'm like, call them back. I can't be stolen from. But you were stolen. No, I wasn't. I, I promise you, I was not stolen from. I cannot be stolen from. All things work together 
for my good. Because I love God and call according to his purpose. All things, which includes that thing. So, I don't know how we're going to deal with it. I don't know what level we're going to put it on, but I was not stolen from. Within two hours, there's another knock on my door, and a policeman was standing there. And he said, I need you to identify this stuff. Look at yes, that's my stuff. He said, would you like it back? I said, sure, that would be neat. Well, they gave me back my stuff. I looked at the guy and said, see, can't be stolen from. The police officer says, well, the guy that tried to take your stuff is in the back of my car. He'd like to talk to you. So I go out to the car and lead him to Jesus in the backseat of the car. Now, I want to talk about being set up by God. I mean, this, this guy falls to the temptation to take something that doesn't belong to him. And he's lied to and told that nobody's ever going to know and they'll never catch him. Then he's caught and he's brought to a church so that he could, by, by captivation, sit in the back of a police car and have a preacher come out and lead him to Jesus. God knows what he's doing. Okay? It's important that you understand that the title gives him power. And God gave him the title, The Tempter. Right? We still in Matthew? The tempter, look at, look at what happens. The tempter came and said, if you're the son of God, if you go back just a couple of verses, heaven split open, a voice from heaven was heard saying, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Here comes the tempter, the tempter, and he says, well, if you're really the son of God, always questioning your sonship. But the tempter comes, think about it, the tempter comes in and, and tries to get you to, to take something that isn't yours. He, he, he tries to get you to do something that you know isn't right. He tries to get you to, you, you know, really what's happening is he starts painting a picture. You got the Holy Spirit painting a picture over here and you got the tempter painting this picture over here. And you are in a position where you have to decide which artist am I going to go with? Because I'm going to I'm going to supply the canvas to one of these artists. And and, and I'm going to go with one of those pictures and it's going to get painted on the canvas of my life. And, and the temptation is to get a fulfillment of a promise that only God could fulfill. The temptation is for you to believe that you could get something that only God could grant. And he's tempting you. And, and, and it's happened, you know, think about it. The first Adam, he's in a garden. Jesus, the second Adam, is in a wilderness. The first Adam can eat anything he can see except one thing. The, the second Adam, 40 days, 40 nights, no food. He's hungry. The, the first Adam, in the lap of luxury, the second Adam, is, is, he's, he's hot, he's tired, he's, he, he's wore out, he's exhausted, and, but they're facing the same temptation. The first Adam drops the ball. The second Adam carries it in for a touchdown. How did he do it? He used the word of God. It is written. Why do I need the word of God? So you know the will of God. If you know the will of God, you're not so apt to be falling to the temptations. Because, you know, the T is temptation. The L is immediately when he tempts you, what's he do? He starts lying to you. Come on, you deserve it. You ought to have it. It's not going to hurt you. Nobody's going to know. You know, the boss isn't going to know. The coach isn't going to know. Mom, dad, they'll never find out. You, you know what? The, uh, no, nobody's ever going to hear about it. You're going to get away with it. And, and, and it's not, nobody's going to get hurt. What's the big deal? And he starts lying to you. You know, the Bible says that he's the father of liars. That lying is his language. The Bible actually gives him the title of liar. 
So he comes to lie to you. Even when he was tempting Jesus, and if you read on in Matthew, and he takes him up and he says, see all the kingdoms, all the kingdoms, if you bow down, I'll give them to you. They weren't his to give. He just starts lying, man. I'm telling you, he, he tempts you and then he lies to you. He said, you know, look, look, look over there. You, you like what you see? You like what you see? You ought to have that. You ought, you ought to have that. I know you're not supposed to. I know the world's saying that, that it isn't yours. And, you know, God, God says that that would be immoral. But, but you know, you, you, you define your own, you, your own morality. Come on. You can do it. And, and, he, and, he, and he lies to you. And, but, you know, the only reason he can lie to you is because you don't know the truth. Do you know how hard, it's like impossible to lie to somebody who knows the truth. How come our kids never learn that? You know, your mom and dad, they know exactly what went down. And then you stand there and try to lie to them. But they know the truth. And they ain't buying it. And you're thinking, come on, just believe me. Why won't you trust me? And you make it about a trust issue. It's not a trust issue. It's a smart issue. You're dumb, I'm not. <laughs> you know, if you don't know somebody, if you don't know somebody, and, and you know, you, you could come here once, 1.4 times a month or something, sit in a service, and then you read something in the newspaper about me, and you go, oh, that's what I see. I just, I, I just, it's kind of what I thought. But if you know me, you know, well, that's right, or absolutely not. I mean, there's just some things that you just go, I ain't buying that because I know them. Don't you think it's odd that the liar, the father of all liars, has so much ability in conversation with believers? Why? Because they don't know the truth. Can't lie to somebody who knows the truth. We're falling for the lies all the time. Why? Well, you know, you do know that before you conceive another, before you can deceive another, you must be willing to deceive yourself. What James said when he said, be a doer of the word, not a hearer only, because if you're a hearer only, one who hears but without doing, he deceives himself. So before you can be deceived by the devil, you have to be willing to be deceived by you. Well, wait a minute. No, the devil lied to me. It's not my fault I didn't know. That's where, that's your deception. It's not my fault I didn't know. Well, whose fault is it? Don't go all Presbyterian on me. Make me nervous or something. <laughs> Been lied to by a defeated devil. How did that happen? Well, I didn't know the truth. You see, he, he brings temptation and then immediately he starts lying. And then you know what he does, which I think is just low down, dirty dog, scandalistic. But he tempts you, bro. Then he lies to you to get you to do what you shouldn't do. And then the minute you do what he suggested, he condemns you. I mean, he sets it out there. That's not yours, but you should have it. You deserve it more than they do. They'll get another one. No one will ever notice. You won't get caught. Come on, take it, take it, take it, take it, take it. You slide it in your pocket and he goes, what a loser you are. Thought you said you're a Christian. I guess not. You said you were going to break that habit. But here you go again. And, and he starts immediately condemning you for doing what he suggested. It's like he paints the picture. You buy the picture. And then he mocks the picture. That's just wrong. And so we end up churches all across America filled with people experiencing shame and condemnation. 
Because of stuff they act, you know what? And now the devil ain't got a lie. He tells you the truth. You screwed up. And piles on condemnation. And make you feel like God could never use me. I, I don't bring anything to the table. I'm not anointed. I'm not called. If I hang on till Jesus comes, if the grace thing is real, then maybe we're going to make it in by the skin of our teeth. If your teeth have skin, brush them. Okay, just saying. Please. Well, how do we deal with this strategy that's so effective? You know, one, one of the things you need to remember about the enemy, you know, you and I might study history. He's experienced it. He ain't, he ain't reading up on how to trip you up. He, he knows how to get people. Well, how are we going to be effective when, when previously we've fallen? Well, instead of, you know, being led by emotion, instead, instead, of, instead of accepting temptation, what we need to do is embrace the truth. So we need, to, we, need to, we need to trade temptation for truth. I just need to be a student of the truth. I, I, I need to know God's truth. Man, you hear it all the time. But, but it's obvious that we, don't really, we, we haven't really wrapped our mind around it. Because people come in all the time, oh, man, we, we just need prayer. Okay, wh- what's the scripture we're going to stand on? You need God's truth in your life. You know, there's you, you got a device. You can find your way. My sister flew into town from Denver, and she wanted to go to a place in Prosser. And so we were in Kennewick, and she typed in the place in Prosser and pushed start, and the thing started telling her each step to take to get to Prosser. Right? You have devices that help you get where you want to go. You can use the same device to get you what you need to know. What's, what's, what's God say about cancer? He sent his word and healed them. Receive the word. Pay attention to the word. Don't let the word depart thine eyes. It's life to those that find it, health and healing to all their flesh. You need to embrace the truth. You need to exchange the temptation for the truth. Okay? Instead, instead of being lied to, what, what, what we need to do is we, we need to take the lie and decide to be led by the Spirit. Yeah, I'm going to I'm going to embrace the truth. And I'm going to be led by the spirit. Why? Well, Romans 8, 1 says that there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are led by the spirit, but not walk, walk not after the lust of the flesh. So if I'm led by the spirit, guess what? I break the power of condemnation on my life so I can exchange condemnation for comfort. And I can be comforted by the comforter who doesn't come to point out my faults. He comes to eradicate them. For we have an advocate with the Father. You know, if we confess our faults to Him, He will 
cleanse and forgive us from all unrighteousness. I don't have to go through life feeling dirty. I can go through life demonstrating the enemy's defeat. Well, yeah, but you've made mistakes. That's what makes this so awesome. Because somebody who makes mistakes still demonstrates Satan's defeat. Somebody, well, yeah, but you, you don't know my past. I wish you knew your future. I wish you'd just embrace and understand the hope that was given to you when he called you. And that you would realize that if I would go after the life God has, there's not a better life. I'm telling you, there's not a better life. And then, and, and this, this lion devil, you know, he's wormed his way into the church. And, and, and he's, got, he's, got, he's been lying to the church. And he's telling us that it's all about robes and stained glass and, and, and jumping through hoops. And if it looks too easy, set the hoops on fire. And, and that's not what it's about. And, and all of that stuff, that's nice stuff. But the reality is, is that God actually has a dream where you fit. And his love for you is pulling you to, to a destiny he designed for you. How about this verse? What can separate us from the love of God? Neither height, nor depth, nor width, nor breadth, nor any other creature. I mean creature. <laughs> Nothing can separate me from that. How frustrating it must be to live in hell, being assigned to mess up your life when God's decided to bless up your life. I'm telling you, you don't have to live with shame. You don't have to live with condemnation. You don't have to live with guilt. We've all sinned. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's none righteous. No, not one. But we don't live under the condemnation of that. We live under the comfort of knowing that because of Jesus Christ, I know the truth. And the truth has liberated me from all that condemnation. I'm free. I'm free to pursue the calling. I'm, I'm, free, I'm free to be who God's created me to be.